Hey, this is John Horner Jacobs, author of Southern Gods in This Dark Earth. Check out Booked with the two most handsome men on the internet. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is The Rain King by Kevin Lynn Helmick. A little bit about the author before we get into it. Uh, he is the author of such works as The Lost Creek Journal, Clovis Point, Sebastian Cross, Heartland Gothic, and Driving Alone. Uh, he was born in December 1963 in Fort Madison, Iowa. He now lives in the Chain O Lakes near Chicago, Illinois. I will just, um, full disclosure, I've been to Kevin's house. He does not live in the lake. He has a home like everybody else does. He's not like a beaver? No, no, he's not like, well, he's a little like a beaver. He just doesn't live in a lake. That's, All right. It's good to clear up. For good cl- clarification. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll ask him about that later on when he joins us on the on this episode. But first, we're going to talk about his latest novel, The Rain King. Uh, here is the synopsis for The Rain King from our friends at Amazon. A contemporary Western noir, The Rain King is the story of George Washington Parker, a 107-year-old Comanche Indian, and the way he remembers his turn-of-the-century travels through Oklahoma Territory with ex-Confederate outlaw Henry Faro as they pursue a genocidal preacher known as The Rain King. I'm going to say it's probably pronounced Pharaoh. Okay. The reason I say that is, and this is ridiculous that I'm even pulling that, is um, there was a, at some point in the book, and I know we're just jumping all around now, um, a reference to card playing, and um, mm. they talk about his name, and I think there's a game called Pharaoh, right? There is a game called Pharaoh. Yeah, so I think that's why right. it's pronounced Pharaoh. Now you're going to make me look up if that's how it's spelled, though. Oh, yeah, look at that Pharaoh card game. <laughs> So I word I word copped you right at the yeah, Hey, listen, listen, it's not my fault they spell it wrong. If it was Pharaoh, it should be P-H-A-R-O-H. Because what do you think came first? Those guys, the Pharaohs, or the card game? Um I'm gonna guess the uh the Pharaohs of mm-hmm. like Egypt and stuff, but yep. I'm no historian, so <laughs> and stuff like the German pharaohs. You know. All right. The Madagascar pharaohs. All right, getting into the story a little bit. The book starts out in the format of a person who's it's a, it's like a confessional style again. So we we have a person, as mentioned in the synopsis, he's uh, the character George Washington Parker, who is uh, a Comanche Indian. Um, it starts out with him when he's in at his 107 year old age, and um, he starts to talk like you know. There's a scene where someone's celebrating his birthday, but then he starts to reflect on the past. The bulk of the story is is remembering back to the time just after the Civil War, where. Uh, him and and the people he knew during the war are kind of have moved on to the next part of their life yeah the story actually is um as much as you would think it's about um this particular character who's kind of narrating it it's basically him telling you a little bit about this this you know i guess in some ways after the end of the story at least this legendary character henry pharaoh um who he becomes involved with so we don't we don't see their involvement immediately what we see is uh is uh, if you listen to the book anthology um, release party recording, you would have heard this uh, most of this first chapter, um, which is basically talking about Henry and uh, Henry kind of uh, getting ready to go back on the road and, and take care of some uh, some business. And uh, we find out pretty quickly that Henry's business is uh, he's not the so this is a western, right? He is not the white hat cowboy. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, 
and it's never really gone into detail. There's, there's, so that we get allusions to what what happened in these characters' past. So there's pretty much three main guys in the book. There's the um, Henry Farrow character, which we see the most of. There's the George Washington Parker character, and then another main character, Livius Poole, who's a reverend. Um, and they all knew Wait, each hold other. Hold on a second, Rob. Rob, what did you say that guy's name was? His name is Reverend Livius Poole. Uh, what a coincidence, huh? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Second book I've ever seen the name Livius in. <laughs> um, and they all had some sort of connection. I think they were in the same company or something during the war. Um, and so they knew each other during the war. And then time has passed between the war and now. And so. Um, the things that happened after the war, it's alluded to loosely and everything, but Henry seems like he was probably like a bank robber or a stick-up artist or something like that, right? That's not too spoilery. No, I don't think so. And, and let's just say that he's a very mysterious character because the majority of people you encounter in this book think that he died. Right. So he kind of disappeared off the face here. So Henry Farrow is not his name, which leads to this really nice kind of air of mystery throughout the book. Because you really want to find out, like, what this dude's deal is. Like, you know, you, you get the feeling you should know more about him. Right. And um, so in the, in the time that most of the book takes place, he has settled down to a legitimate life, but it's rough living and, and money is sparse. And so he sets out to kind of, like, take care of some business, and that kicks up a lot of dust and, and brings all these people back from, you know, from his past back into the present um, in a very insane uh, weird preacher man named uh, Livius what else would you expect so Reverend Poole um, <laughs> kind of heads up this group of ultra religious people in um, in kind of that that I don't know Old Testament type you know religion where you know, you can either uh, take God's law as it is or you're put down. But in this case, it's by like a six shooter from you know, this group of enforcers um, that he has. So we see a few instances of that. But Reverend Poole gets this, uh, you know, gets kind of a wind that Henry Farrow is alive and um, nearby. So he kind of sets out um, to find him. Yeah. And his group of people. I was thinking about it when you were talking about them. I was trying. I was gonna say that they're cult-like, like Waco, Texas style, mm-hmm. which is kind of a dated reference now. I realize, but um, uh, then I realized it's probably those guys just sit around in houses and eventually get burned to death by like the FBI and stuff. So they're not very active. Um, these guys are more like the Crusade. Like they went out and like <laughs> dealt purified. Their, yeah, right. They dealt their harsh kind of justice to people who were. Um, you know, just kind of going about their day and like, you know, they were sinners and they killed them. So this is a very more, much more proactive, um, um, uh, extreme religious group of people. Yep. Indeed it is. So through the course of, uh, of what we've been talking about, um, Henry has reason to, um, kind of, uh, run into George Washington Parker, who is recounting all of this, um, they're kind of thrown together as as um, I don't know, unwitting allies, I guess would be the the best way I can come yeah. up with to say this. Um, and they're uh, eventually, you know, it's Henry trying to make his way home because he believes that uh, the pool is is after you know him and will go after his wife. The Parker character is cool. He so he's the he's the um, the I like the idea of this character because essentially, like, he's a Comanche Indian, so he's a full uh, Indian. Um, but 
after the the war instead of staying true to you know like his tribal traditions and stuff like that he kind of settled down and went the white man way he adapted to the white man's culture so he lived and and worked and kind of did the politics of of the white man i believe he married a, a white his wife his wife was a white person and so their their children were you know uh, mixed race and everything and so he he politicized uh, his life and adapted in order to survive in what he considered a new and changing world um, but at the same time he was still a powerful person who uh, you know was respected and in some cases feared uh, and and one of his uh, kids who becomes not a huge character in the book but you know an interesting character in the book uh, is referred to as Bird who is his, his son who is um, very much, even though he's kind of a half, um, half breed, is very much into the the tradition of the Comanche people and uh, very disgusted by the white man culture and stuff. All right, so all of what you said is true, except that yeah, they're both named Parker. I just wanted to clarify in case listeners were confused. Um, Parker, obviously, and his son, but the story's told from George Washington Parker, who is Bird the Indian in the book, who travels with Pharaoh. Oh, right, right, but, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, same name, but then a different name for a thing can be a little confusing. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much the gist of it. There's one other, so there's a couple other things we need to talk about. First of all, there's one very, very, very important character that we did not mention, and that's the horse. All right, Jed the horse. Jed the horse, who was thinking about this while I was reading this book. At first you think Jed might be a talking horse. (laughs) But if you really read it, it's never really clear on if Jed talks or not, or if Henry just hears him, like, in his head. Like you would talk to your dog or or cat or, I don't know, salamander or whatever animal you might have hanging out around your house. (laughs) Um, Eh, I'm going to take issue with that. Really? Okay. Let's let's talk about this. Um, at one point, uh, toward the end, uh, the horse Jed ends up with Bird, and there's a line, and I specifically remember this because I it was like my I didn't know which way to go on this. There's a line where he basically says something about Bird had talked to many horses in his day, but this was the first one that talked back. Huh. Um. So what I take it from, I mean, I, don't, I didn't read it in a Mr. Ed kind of way. Mm-hmm. It was you more didn't like hear a, his voice like that every time? <laughs> <laughs> I took it more as like a spiritual thing. Like um, either, you know, like this horse was just, you know, more. I mean, horses are very intelligent animals. Um, this one just happened to have some sort of spiritual kind of connection. It was a very spiritual, supernatural type of feel throughout the book. Not very, but slight and this was one of those things where it was like it was more like the 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 spirit or the soul of the creature could communicate you know or something like that i've took it more that way than than like a dumb actual talking horse you know a horse is a horse of course <sighs> um yeah the supernatural um it's one of my favorite things probably about this book is um, there is an element of supernatural. Now, when I say that, you go, hey, you guys thought, think you would have brought this up if there was vampires or you know, warlocks or ghosts or whatever. It's not really so much like that. It's a very subtle undertone of supernatural elements that, that don't, I don't want to say they don't affect the story because I don't think that's the case, but I think it creates a feel 
for for this book. So it's told very clearly and plainly in our world and our history, I think, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing to indicate that it's not. But there are just a couple of things. I'm not even going to go into them. There's the horse that may or may not be speaking. We'll we'll, we'll ask uh, we'll ask Mr. Helmick on, on that um, in a little bit. Um, but you know, there are some other elements there, and I think when you wrap that together with this kind of protagonist, that's um, you know, it's not even like he like he walks a fine line. I mean, there's something that happens fairly early in the book that plants him as not a good guy. You know, I mean, there's it's not. A lot of times you read books like this, you're like, oh, here, this guy's flawed, but you know, but he's the good guy. Yeah, Henry Farrow's not the good guy. Henry Farrow's yeah. not a good guy. There are no good guys in this book, as far as I can tell. Right. Uh, maybe. Maybe Sheriff Olson. Sheriff another Olson. Crazy, another crazy coincidence. A character appears early on in the book. He seems like he's a good guy. And he then there's seems... like a hooker with a heart of gold. Yeah, early on, she seems okay. Right. The wife seemed pretty solid. Yeah, the uh, wife Henry's wife. Very solid, yes. I, I agree with that. But yeah, so it's this book, um, even being a Western, you know, the story's really solid. Um, but the feel is what I loved. I think that he really was able to create kind of a, an, an aura around this story. Um, and we've talked about this in other books and uh, in, in other books we haven't reviewed, um, kind of like uh, the raw shark texts, for example, where there are more stories, I think, in this in this particular world that he created, you know, where you want to mm-hmm. kind of know some more. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the tone, I think tone is the right word, because like. So it's being retold from the perspective of an, a really old Comanche person who fought, like in the Civil War. Um, so, but it wasn't over the top or like vaguely racist, like you could expect, where someone would be like, "And the God of the Sunflowers blessed us with." Like, it wasn't any of that bullshit. It was just like a very subtle, like appropriate amount of like supernatural um, element to the story that just set it in a tone that made it believable for the time and for the people who were involved, which I thought was really good. Indeed. I agree. Wholeheartedly. Um, sadly, I don't know. Are you ready to go into quotes? Do you yeah, have I got quotes? Some quotes. Yeah. Okay. Cause I don't. And the reason I don't is <laughs> when I originally read this, I originally read it, um, to blurb it. And I read it over a month ago. Um, and I just, at the time I didn't know if we were going to be reviewing it and I didn't, I didn't make, <laughs> make quotes. I'll, I'll, I'll read something here. He swung his feet to the floor and sat rubbing his eyes. I like that line. That's a good line. <laughs> this happened to be what's in front of me right now. I just wanted to contribute to the quote section. All right. I do have a few quotes uh, from the book. And Helmick, um, this is the first time I read anything Western by him, but it had a very Helmick feel to it, so it was comfortable for me. I just like some of the stuff he says. It's just very kind of classic in a feel. Uh, and... and uh, I don't know what I mean exactly by that, but hopefully the quotes will help you feel that. But uh, <laughs> this first one is, uh, <clears throat> they both watched yonder as those black hills seduced the sun like they had so many times before and as they would forever. It's good, right? I like that. I like that a lot. Here's another quick one. For without faith, prayer is just begging. That was really good. I actually, I remember that one. This one's a little bit longer, and it's actually a conversation between Henry and his horse. Actually, this is a Jed quote. Uh, Jed snorted but relaxed a little and said, We have to go. Every dawn has its day. Henry looked out across the horizon. The dust had commenced and was growing. All right, Henry said, but it's every dog. Every dog. 
That makes no sense. What would a dog do with a day? Sleep, I suspect. I don't like dogs. Yeah, I know. It don't goddamn matter none, though. <laughs> a lot of those conversations between um, Henry and, and, the, and the horse were really, really entertaining. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Jed had a little bit of attitude, a little bit of wisdom, but he was just like a damn reliable horse. Um, and actually, I have something. I just thought about that. Uh, before we realized that Henry talks to Jed and Jed talks back, um, there's a part where he's just talking about getting his horse out of the stable and um, just talking about how it was a really good horse and no matter what kind of offers he got for money, he would never sell the horse. And he didn't really, he didn't explain it in the moment why, but it's only after you realize, like, what a unique and special horse it is that it would make sense that he didn't sell the horse. So I like how he just kind of said that in the moment, because that's what you would think if you were thinking about it in retrospect. And then later on, you get to learn what the value of the horse was. It's uh, a very good point. Very good and interesting point you make there, sir. I, you know, sometimes I think about stuff. That this is, this is a good start. <laughs> And this final quote, I think, might be uh, one of my favorite from the whole book. And it's Bird, uh, the son of, of Parker, talking to Henry Pharaoh. As long as there is two men standing on the same piece of earth, there will be war, Henry Pharaoh. You know that. I actually remember that. It is a very good, very good quote. That's an excellent quote. It is. There's so many things I liked about this book. It's got kind of a timeless kind of classic feel to it. That's what I was trying to... If I hope the quotes kind of emphasize it. Mm -hmm. I uh, I was I don't want to say I was skeptical, because like I said, I've read a couple other longer... Um, you know, I read another novella from, from Helmick and, and a full-length novel, and I really enjoyed both of them. So it wasn't that I was skeptical about reading, uh, skeptical about reading some of his work. It's kind of skeptical about a Western, and that's because I haven't read many... Uh, and I'm struggling to think if I've ever read a Western before because they always seem like they'd be kind of, I don't know, stuffy. Oh, yeah. I guess we read that vampire Western, um, the Lansdale one. We Dead did that Road the show. or whatever. Yeah, and and that had a... Dead Man's uh, Road. Yeah, a stuffier feel to it, right? Like... Like costumey. Yeah, so this was... Um, yeah, I was very pleased because, you know, he had said, hey, do you want to you know read this? And if you get through it and you like it, you know, give me a blurb for the book. I said, yeah, sure. You know, it's not not terribly long. I said, yeah, I'll dive into it. But I was I was a little skeptical again, not because of, of Kevin, but because of the the content. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, is that your wrap up? <laughs> um, no. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I guess it could be. Why don't you go ahead? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, much like Livius, not very familiar with westerns, but I mean, if you think about it, really, a western is. Very similar to some of the crime fiction we read, like the the rural southern crime fiction, is really just kind of a western in a in a modern setting in a way. Um, a lot of similar uh, people attitudes and and, and uh, situations and, and things that people go through. But anyway, I could be way wrong and probably just offended like Donald Ray Pollock and a bunch of people. But um, westerns, yeah, it's kind of a new new territory for us, and it had like Livius kind of warned me on the previous episode that, you know, it wasn't like a straight Western. There was a little bit of a twist to it, but not too much. It was just right. Like framed in the way it was told by a Comanche Indian. And, um, in the time that it was, which is like the early 1900s, 
it was just the right amount of supernatural in a way that like people of the time would just believe that that's normal probably or at least you know have enough faith or belief that something like that you know could happen or, or enjoy a tale that involved that um that being said it's just a damn good story like uh you know a bunch of people went through the war together split up went their own ways and you know some some nasty shit brings them back together and it gets bloody i mean is is the real quick summary of the story but told really well it's very interesting it's got cool characters uh, it never felt costumey or or too um like fitting into a genre it just felt like a really good uh well-told story uh not that long what is it probably around 200 pages Livius. i think it's actually a little less than that yeah it's a quick read um just really nice all the way throughout uh so i hadn't really thought about a rating before i got to this point but i'm gonna go four and a half stars on this i really dug it very nice isn't it funny because you think that you'd be that we would think about those things right but like, like as <laughs> yeah. you're reading it, you're like, yeah, I don't know. And sometimes, and I know you mentioned this before, sometimes your rating changes after you're able to talk about it. With oh, someone, yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to do another short version of what may or may not have been the, the, the wrap-up that I did a little couple minutes ago. Um, kind of what Rob said. Uh, as I mentioned, I was um, pleasantly surprised to find that uh, I really enjoyed uh, something in a genre I'm not really familiar with. Um for me, great characters. Um, I loved, I loved the kind of, as I mentioned before, the no clean cut, um, protagonist in this. And I know we've seen other books with that just hit me harder with this, that, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there's no white hat cowboy. You expect there to be a white hat cowboy for fuck's sake. It's a Western, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's, that's what you're supposed to have. Um, and it, he didn't show up in this book and I really, really enjoyed that. The, the supernatural undertones, as Rob said, were done perfectly. I I don't know that it could have been done better than that Uh, enough to give you a kind of feel. Um, but not to, not to be, you know, whatever, not to become science fiction, supernatural fantasy, whatever you want to call it. Still a, uh, a, a very, you know, perhaps true to life novel, you know, as far as what can actually happen. Um, yeah, I, I'm all right with Rob with this. It's four and a half stars. Sweet. Um, all right. Well, we uh, we did a review of The Rain King, and actually uh, we were lucky enough to get Mr. Helmick himself on to answer some questions, to, to answer for his crimes. So coming up in just a second, we will have Kevin Lynn Helmick. Kevin, thanks for uh, taking time out of a busy writing schedule to come on to Booked and talk to us a little bit about the Rain King. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm not having a very busy writing schedule, but I do have a pretty busy schedule that includes writing. Oh, so, yeah, Listen, you just tell people that you bang away at the keyboard all the time. Don't talk about that crazy, like, day yeah, job kind of well, stuff. we got to have a life, man. Got to pay the bills. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I did get uh, I did get a solid... Uh, four and a half hours in today about three thousand words which was nice i hadn't been there i haven't been there in a while so that was uh that was really nice to revisit the project i was working on before, you know during the rain king or when i put the rain king down for a little bit and then i went back to it so uh so now i'm revisiting something that i'd started and uh i intend on finishing that all the way through now Nice. All right. So usually when we review something from someone, we give them an opportunity to talk about it kind of in their own words. So we we just spent a half an hour talking about what we got out of your book. Um, But if you could give us just in like a quick summary what the Rain King is about, that would be great. 
the Rain King to me is about it's it's a morality tale like most of my books are morality stories and things like that but it's uh but it's also a it's a, i see it as an end you know i mean it's an end of a, of an era it's an end of a generation it's a, a end of a certain type of people in place and uh it just to me it to me it just had that kind of feel of uh you know, a very heavy feel about it, I think. And I was, you know, I, I think I don't I don't mean to, you know, put anybody off by saying that. But it's but but to me, it just felt like a, almost like a very f- final type of story. It's a story about a uh, about a kind of a changing of a changing of the guard as far as uh, the American West coming to an end. And the story is told in part through a 107 year old uh, uh, Comanche Indian who had spent his teenage years um, he's actually the father of uh, Quanta Parker who was a was an actual Indian who lived in the uh, Oklahoma Territory in the uh, in the late 1800s early 1900s and uh, he's one of the few Indians that uh, there's more there's more backstory to that because it kind of comes from my mother did a lot of genealogy and stuff, and and he his his mother was white, Quanta Parker, and his mother shows up in my family tree somewhere. So that was kind of lingering around in my mind for many, 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 many years. Uh, I have several books on him. My mom did a lot of research on him and stuff like that. So I threw him in there just uh, as to make it feel more like an uh, alternate history. It, it isn't intended to be historical fiction by any means i mean it is fiction but but it's more of an alternate history type of piece so we do get to uh see a few figures in there that actually uh, lived and breathed so that was kind of fun to play with that and you know imagine what they might have been like in in real life and stuff so i and it goes on and this uh this kid is sent by his father to go and assist a aging Confederate outlaw who has committed uh, what he thinks is his final crime, and in his ticket to uh, you know a better life or better freedom, you know that's not doesn't sound like a very uh, new uh, plot, but I think I, I hopefully I weaved it in a way that would be interesting, and and I had to add certain little elements of it to, to keep it interesting for me. Because the American Western is a bit of a minefield of cliches once you get started in it. <laughs> it's I wasn't uh, once I got into it. I was like, "What the hell am I doing writing a Western? It, this is this is not going to end up uh, looking and feeling like a the kind of Western that most people are familiar with." I think. So I don't know. Does that cover it pretty good? I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, you, you maybe touched on this a little bit, but this is your first Western. How did you find writing in this genre different from your other work outside of the uh, the cliches yeah. and stuff? Difficult. Difficult because I, I had found myself, you know, kind of having to revisit history class in high school and, and even things they didn't teach you in high school. Like uh, this particular story is set in the Oklahoma Territory around the turn of, uh, turn of the 20th century. And I didn't know until I was halfway through the book that Oklahoma wasn't even a state until 1905 or something or, 
you know, so I, it, it was still Indian territory. You know, the West, the, the, so much has changed in in, uh, in America in the last 100 years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's things that there was actually actually cars and, and certain uh, certain amount of industrialism at the latter part of the, you know, the 1800s that, that I wasn't, you know, fully aware of. You know, I, I, like most people, had this figure in my mind of, you know, your typical Western with the cowboys and Indians and guns and horses. But there was a lot more going on. You know, there was rapid change, as is today. So I think I think for me, and one of the things that kept me going with it, because I didn't, I put it down several times and then, and then restarted it again when I would uh, come back after a few months and and uh you know take another look at it and see some things that i felt were worth pursuing i'd uh you know i i can see a lot of it relating in a lot of the changes that are going on today with the communication age and uh internet and and you know people are fighting that kicking and screaming left and right as as you know you guys are probably aware of but uh it's it's just inevitable you know i mean and and unfortunately for for the characters in this book, it is a painful transformation and one that uh, you know some will not survive. Some won't have the time to survive it. You know their their time is run out, basically. One of the things actually I was going to talk about a little bit, um, and you you touched on a couple times now is um, the bits of historical information that are that are woven in there. Um, and you kind of had to go back to school. Uh, uh, the things that that I picked up on, um, that I thought were interesting, actually, what kicked it off for me, and then I had to go to Wikipedia and kind of read around, was um, the the stuff that was said in Independence. Um, I had to look and see, like, if there was any kind of historical tie-ins with uh, it's Independence, Missouri, right? Yeah, but then no, all- Kansas, Kansas, no Independence, yeah, Independence, Kansas. Okay, I just don't remember. I know I read it when I was online, and I forgot by now. But yeah. um, the other the other thing was. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked up the names of the people that that um, your characters in the book reported to when they were in the war, and those were actual like those were actual people, yes. right? Yes. So some of it's based yeah. on is this just loosely based on stuff, or uh, those were just kind of real people that you kind of tied in? You're saying it was like an alternate history, right? Yeah. Well, well, they're familiar. I mean, you know, uh, I suppose like you know McClellan and. So Civil War generals and and uh, what Quantrill's Raiders and things like that are pretty felt fairly well known. What types of you know characters traveled with them and 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 that that was where I put Henry and it, uh, I think it was a you know I, I think it's kind of even debatable who Henry the main character if there is one single main character it would be henry farrow mm-hmm. and and we know that uh we know that that's not his real name but we don't i don't really insinuate that he has any other name but uh you know it could be it could be conceived that he's uh jesse james you know it could be you know it could be some other character from that time i, sure, I didn't yeah. want to i didn't want to yeah i didn't want to commit to to one specific character as far as the alternate history thing went. I, I just wanted to play with it a little bit. You know, tease, I just like to tease the reader a little bit into maybe thinking, well, who, who was this character then? If all these other characters really existed, then who who really is Henry Farrow, you know? 
Yeah, I think it was just so. enough because it, it got me thinking, but it didn't, you know, I didn't get obsessed with it or didn't take away from the story. I think it was just enough, like, yeah. of a dip into, like, real history that it was it was a good touch. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, taking taking that Henry Farrell and committing to any real person would have would have weakened the story and ultimately, you know, in the end, I, I just wanted to leave that leave that as a as is more of a universal uh, type of character. You know, this is what happens to people like this. You know, basically in the end, we, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. It seemed it's, it was working for me at the time, and I kept me interested in writing it. So that's the way I went with it. Cool. This next question is going to kind of <clears throat> address that same thing. You know, I think that you did a lot of things. You know, I, I don't know if subtle is the right term, but you know, you did them just enough. So there are yeah. bits of the supernatural throughout this book, which we talked. You know, we talked at length about during during our review. How did you come to the decision to include those those bits of things that maybe? aren't you know what we believe to be historical they're just they're supernatural so you've got some it's a historical fiction piece but now you've got this other element kind of rolling around in there how'd you come to that decision uh i I don't really think it's a conscious one i think the magical realism is something that interests me in a lot of ways and and so and most of my books have and and again they're subtle but i but i mention you know i mention things and you know i'm thinking back in some of my other stories and stuff but uh you know there there are things that uh probably have intrigued me since childhood or, or something you know tarot cards and and things like that and uh you know as far as specifically you know to, are you are you specifically talking about the communication between the uh, Henry and the horse. <laughs> well, that and then there's the kind of um, I don't know seer, I guess, ability. That, oh, the, that oh, the yeah. Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's... You've, got, you've got a couple different mm-hmm. things in there that just very lightly touch it with a with a like you said, kind of magical realism. Yeah. Well, well, the well, the out, out of the body uh, transcendation thing is is something that interests me too i don't know a lot about it i'm not an expert on it or anything like that but i know that it's but i know a lot of people you know believe in 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 out-of-body travels and things like that and and are you know within deep meditation are capable uh supposedly of those things i'm not i have never tried it or <laughs> haven't haven't delved sure, in it too far sure yeah. you haven't <laughs> <laughs> well not naturally, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not without some help. Yeah, that helps. But no, I I think that's that stuff is interesting, don't you think? And not, to, but 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 I don't want to. I don't I didn't want it to be about that. You know, I just wanted it to be, you know, a little a little attribute of its own. You know, to help uh, give the story a, a feel or a mood. You know, so yeah, it definitely did. Uh, I think help with the tone, and I think it was it was legitimacy was lent to it by the fact that it was told from the perspective of an Indian who you know t- you know typically you would consider more supernaturally like open to supernatural things than perhaps your yeah. kind of white bread person would be. Yeah, yeah, he's the and and yet. And yet, the char- that character, George Washington Parker, or or known as Bird, 
um, through most of the story is he he has also learned through these through his travels with Henry Farrow that uh, he's come to come to the realization that he's not going to you know settle for what what Henry um, is selling you know that that his that his time is over his life is through he before it even started he has no future and this and that and this and that so we don't see a lot of that kind of activity coming from bird but but we do his father quanta parker now i don't know if parker in real life was was this type type of a of a you know a shaman or whatever you want to call it but you know, I figured, why not? It's my story. I can make it any way I want to. I do what I want. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 to me, it just gave it, it gave the book uh, gave the story something interesting for me to hang on to too. You know, I like the uh, and I do I do tend to mess around a lot with uh, you know religion and and uh, you know black magic or white magic or whatever you want to call it, just mysticism and things like that. I have, I have fun with that kind of stuff. It's, it interests me, although I'm no expert on any of it. All right. We need you to settle a little bit of a dispute we had uh, while we were reviewing Uh-oh. the book. You got to get out the boxing gloves. <laughs> Jed, does he talk or does Jed not talk? I don't know. You know, does he talk? <laughs> is, he, is he the, for everybody listening, Jed is Henry's horse. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's debatable. You know, is he, is is he the is he Henry's voice of reason? You know, is he uh, is Henry is is Henry one of these horse whisperer guys that uh, you know people claim to be able to 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 do that? I, I don't think it really matters. You know, I, I think uh, I, I like Jed, and 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 he gave he gave me a vehicle to say some things that Henry's character probably would never have say or or thought of. So yeah, there was a. It's funny because when my wife was reading, reading the the copy, she was like, uh, you know, Jed Jed is my favorite. She said, <laughs> you know, because uh, you know he said he just I, I gave him a little bit of wisdom, you know, that Henry may have had but wasn't exactly following, you know. So nah, <laughs> yes. He's talking. God no, damn. He's okay. not. Thank you. See, here's what happened, and you haven't heard this yet, but I say he yeah. may or may not be, and Rob's like, no, no, he is. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's good. So I was like, well, we'll ask. So. I want. That's that's exactly what I want. Debate. But uh, I made sure to point out that it wasn't talking in the Mister Ed sense, but it was more talking in a exactly. Uh, yeah. No, he's not. He's not Mister Ed. He's there's nothing goofy. He's he's sarcastic. He's uh. You know he's cutting, but he's he's poetic and, and he's philosophical. I, I I I loved I loved some of the dialogue that uh, came through Jed. Yeah, one he, of our quotes said, that we when we quoted from the book, one of them was a conversation between the horse Jed and uh, and Henry. This is one of my better one of my favorite quotes from the from your book. This is about uh, not liking dogs. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. What horse likes dogs? Yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I mean, I see dogs, and they always seem to be uh, like an annoyance to horses. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems to me, if I was a horse, I wouldn't want some dog yapping at my legs. 
you know, I was just, <laughs> I don't know why I put that in there. That was so weird. But, you know, Jed, Jed expressed himself very well, I thought. It know? was funny, too. I mean, I thought it broke up, yeah. you know, some of the serious stuff with humor, too, because, like, Jed says every every dog has his day and he has to be corrected by Henry that it's or, or like the other way around every yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah whatever yeah he got some yeah you know I was I was when I was writing that when I was writing the character of Jed I was uh I was actually at the time I was reading some some book of useless trivia and and I and I thought you know I'm just going to give Jed's dialogue just a bunch of stupid useless trivia you know and it'll it'll just have henry baffled all the time and i thought no nah, that, that's getting too close to just cheating you know so i'm not going to do that so i did uh you know i did throw a couple of little thing weird things in there that uh that are just some you know will rogers type of type of philosophy that this jed had and and henry was you know but but in the end yeah, he, they were they were best friends, you know. I thought I, I think that was a, a te- that gave the book a tenderness that I don't think exists anywhere else in the book, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I thought sure. that was kind of nice. So, you know, yeah, it was good. That was that was that was, a, that was just another vehicle also to keep myself entertained in writing it. That I've never <laughs> I've never read that in a western before, so. It's like, okay, well, you know, he's on, a, this guy is on a travel. I've had that problem before, too. It was like when I want to write a character that's on a journey, you know, and, and I don't really, in, I intend for him to be alone, but uh, somebody always shows up, man. You know, I can't, uh, I can't seem to carry that monologue in an interesting way for very long without, uh, without somebody else showing up. Well, I think we got to the bottom of why you write, and it's to entertain yourself. <laughs> oh sure, I mean yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't. It, it isn't easy. Don't get me wrong. I mean that book was not easy. I think. Uh, I think I was. I think I was talking with Liv recently, and I was. Uh, we were remembering the the first time that I mentioned it in public, was at that uh, movie screening at. Uh, that casting oh, yeah. movie screening yeah yeah and that was what three years ago or something two or three years ago two years ago i think three years ago yeah yeah so i so i had somewhat of a draft going at that point i don't remember what, how much but i do remember you know giving up on it several times just like throwing it away i said shit i, I don't want to write a western I, this is crazy you know this is too hard it's way too hard and then i and then i returned to it in three or four months and i would get to looking it over and think well this is this might be worth you know pursuing yet so so it wasn't an easy road you know really probably one of the more difficult books i've ever written although it seems very brief and simple wasn't didn't wasn't conceived that way or constructed that way at all all right so um i think we're going to kind of change directions a little bit uh from from the writing to to publishing and um you you have a perspective of of being published in in kind of different capacities uh, uh, from you know publishers to to a little bit of the self publishing route. So the hot topic yeah. right now is the dispute between Amazon and uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but Hachette Hachette whatever it's called the the, the one yeah. of the top five publishers Hachette. Hachette. <laughs> 
What's yeah, I, uh, I have no, I have no, I have no reason to pronounce the name correctly. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really care about what's going on with that. I mean, I do get tired of hearing about it because, goddamn, it doesn't have anything to do with. I mean, it, it's two major players, you know, battling it out. I, I don't really. You know, it, you know what? Amazon is. I use Amazon as does everybody else that is bitching about Amazon. They use Amazon <laughs> too. So it's like not, it, it just seems so stupid to me, you know, and, and I don't think how, I, you know, I'm not worried about Amazon taking over the world. I, I mean, that's, that's the kind of nonsense you hear here and there. It will be the United States of Amazon someday or something. But, uh, you know, it's it's a they're a fucking retailer. You know, it's a it's a bookstore, and they're a very successful one. And and then you got you know a traditional publishing, which is great. They're great at what they do. They've been doing it the same way for a hundred years, and they want to tell, as far as I can tell, anyway, as far as I put together, they want to tell Amazon what they can charge for their products that they sell. Now I can't do that. I can't go into, you know. Barnes and Noble and tell them that they have to carry my book or I'm going to protest you or <laughs> you have to charge a certain amount. Well, you know what I'm saying? I really think and you should so, try, though. <laughs> huh? I really yeah, think you should try. Right, that would be entertaining. thrown in freaking jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put that I on mean, our new YouTube channel. Yeah. I'll, be you guys, I'll be calling you guys to bail me out. But, uh, you know, it's just I don't see it as really affecting me. You know, maybe I'm Maybe I'm being dismissive. Maybe maybe there's a bigger picture, you know, a bigger ominous conspiracy picture that uh, you know people are trying to paint that I, I just don't see. I just don't buy into that shit. Um, I do think Amazon needs some healthy competition. I sure. think Hatchet Hatchet ought to put their or Hatchet or Big Six New York whatever ought to put their money where their mouth is and and, and start their own you know, on t online retail business because, uh, you know, they've, uh, Amazon has moved their pieces way ahead of them. And when they wasn't looking or wasn't paying attention or they didn't care, whatever the reason, but they need to catch up or they're not going to be able to, you know, eventually somebody will, somebody will come along and give Amazon a run for their money. It's, it's, it's the way you know, it works. It's the way capitalism works. Sooner or later, somebody will, uh, you know, start their own type of, you know, you got eBay, you got, you got a variety of places to sell your books. I don't understand why people, you know, are so determined to make Amazon bend to their will when all they got to do is pick up their shit and go somewhere else, you know, but yeah. That's you know that's about how I feel about that really I don't I don't I'm not in love with Amazon I don't I'm not gonna uh, you know write them some glowing supportive letter and I don't care about Hatchet they don't want me and I'm, I, you know I don't owe them nothing so you know where that doesn't really put me you know in a place of uh, my opinion matters much I suppose it, it doesn't really matter. I do want to respectfully disagree with you on one thing you said as what? far as Amazon not taking over the world. Correct me, okay. correct me, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong here. Is there not now a river named the Amazon River? I think that was a it's, a, it's a start and it's a big river from what I understand. I don't know a lot about yeah. rivers, but 
Yeah, and, and uh, denial is not just a river in Africa. That's um, right. So <laughs> that's what we so need to Amazon start up. River was around. We need to start up yeah. Nile.com. That's a good one. Oh man, that's really good. My mind, my brain just went pow. You know, <laughs> that's good. Denial. All that's right. very good. Kevin, what are you working on now? Um, I'm working on on a, on a more you know uh, set in today's story right now. It's called it's, and I've been working on Hamlet in a while too. But I've had those last two books. I've had several uh, you know setbacks and delays that weren't the book's fault and not of any you know significant delays or whatever. Just work and life and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm still working on a little little story that's kind of a it's more of a more of a modern day story about a family that uh you know a group of fucked up people a husband and wife and a daughter and they're forced to through economic reasons and they're forced to leave the city of chicago and move into the country suburbs and uh they're all dealing with it. it's more of a slice of life thing it's i don't think it's a i'm not sure exactly what I would call it at this point, other than than probably a, just a literary slice of life tale. There is some, again, there is seems to be some uh, magical realism creeping in with uh, with the daughters. Daughter seems to have a uh, a dual personality that's uh, you know suggesting suggesting how she handles this move and her parents and. Her grandparents have some money, and they own some marinas, and and you know it's just kind of a. I think it's got some really good writing in it, but I just don't know if uh, it's it's uh, showed itself to me yet, and in, in what direction it's going to go. I, I think I've got it. It's another one of those uh, one of those stories that's uh, maybe. A little challenging for the reader to keep up, but I, but I, but I like that because it keeps me on my toes. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like a linear story that that just goes from you know point A to point B without uh, without making some sharp right turns and left turns and stuff. I, that I like, uh, I like to, you know, challenge myself and the reader when I write and. So I, I do my best to do that. So I'm I'm having fun with that, and I got uh, got a good chunk of um, since I've published the Rain King. By the way, the Rain King had a remarkably good first week and and second week. I wasn't expecting that at all. That was uh, that was really nice. And anybody out there that's partake in that, thank you, because I wasn't expecting that at all. I was just expecting to get it out there and get back to work on this other book and. <laughs> So it's been a nice, uh, it's been a nice, uh, and thank you, Amazon. <laughs> it's been, a, it'll, it'll be a nice royalty check next month by Amazon. You know, that, that's one thing they're good about is their freaking royalty checks are 28th direct deposit every month. <laughs> so, um, if I, so for that, I buy them a beer. Uh well, I do know several people that told me they did pick up Rain King and that they're looking forward to hearing our review and then reading it. So um, that's nice. Yeah, I talked to a few people that are that have it on there to be read list. Um, before awesome. I jump on to my final question, though, I want to say that I'm guessing that this new story you're working on yeah. 
This time to switch it up, Talking Dog. Oh, God damn it. Talking Dog, you know? <laughs> a dog, an animal did came up. Came up. There are, you know, that's, fun, that's funny because there is a lot of animals in my books, although uh, I don't know if either one of you guys read Heartland Gothic, but there's a dog in that book that is a constant source of asshole to the main character. You know, <laughs> he, he is the, the main character comes back home from uh, Los Angeles to the Midwest. And there's a, there's a black dog that lives there. And, and the black dog is a metaphor is of course for, you know, like uh, depression in a, in a house, but this dog will not let him out of the house without a good run for his money. You know, so, so he's constantly through the entire book. He's constantly battling. It doesn't talk though. It, it just it's just a constant pain in the ass through the whole book that he's got to run to the car and and you know run to the house when he gets home and because the dog is always trying to bite him in the ass. But uh, I, I was gonna wait until we were off air and then suggest to Kevin that he not go with a talking hamster because all I'll hear is dice clay from those Sprint commercials. Oh the, my the god, family ones. Oh my so god, <laughs> or that or that fucking Geico. I would like to stomp on that thing. That gecko, the gecko, 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 or whatever the hell it is. I'm so sick of that stupid thing. But uh, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no animals in this book so far. No talking animals. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we uh, say goodnight, uh, is there anything um, we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to promote, uh, whether it's your stuff or uh, you know work of a friend of yours or anything you want to give a shout out to? You know, I just want to thank you, everybody, for what they you know they ran out and grabbed it up you know in the first week or two i have a small readership so it's probably going to drop like a stone now but it's uh i you know thank everybody for for putting the stuff out there you know jet airs has always always been a big supporter of my stuff as soon as it comes out he's uh on top of it you know spine tingler got a hold of me and 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 gave me a little little part uh you know a little blog spot over there and you know it's just been it's been a great reception from those people that have come up i read what i'm reading right now i'm you know i i can't uh can't really i'm not really reading anything that anybody can appreciate because hunter s thompson's dead but uh you know i just like to thank everybody for pick up the book and and for reading the other stuff too it means a lot to me man it means more to me than than anything else is when when people dig it yeah so that's cool and thank you guys for having me on it must have been my uh you know threatening letter my query <laughs> my, i had to threaten these guys i'm sure i'm sure we'll be receiving numerous threats now from yeah, people whose, whose just, queries we've just completely <laughs> ignored I, i'm just kidding i didn't have to threaten you guys but it did did take me five books to get here so all you writers out there that want to want to want to be on book podcast you know keep trying write something good it is a hot write spot to be uh yeah so. absolutely yeah. it's a goal kevin a thanks goal. thanks for your hey, time this evening buddy thank you guys i appreciate it and uh we'll hook up soon maybe some uh maybe some reading somewhere who knows <laughs> <laughs> All right. Once again, that was Kevin Lynn Helmick, author of The Rain King, which we just reviewed. Uh, if you want to get more of his stuff, uh, head over to Amazon, uh, which we talked about earlier. 
you can pick up a ton of stuff by him. He's got Sebastian Cross and Clovis Point and Driving Alone, Rain Kings over there. Uh, you can pick up a copy of the book anthology, or if you already have a copy, pick up your copy of the book anthology and read his story, which is called Noir's City. Um, or uh, the Rain King, I believe, is part of that Amazon. What's it called, Lemius? Amazon Unlimited, where you pay Amazon. It's like Netflix for books, I think. Oh, right on. Yeah. So yeah, if you already if you're if you're hooked up with that, you might be able to just get rid of, get to read it for free, so that he doesn't get any money from you, which is kind of a dick move. But if they I mean, go for I'm not it, sure I'm not sure that's exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen here, yeah. and if you don't want to do that, Rob will send you a copy. Like, <laughs> oh, if you man. if you yeah pay me enough, you, I'll just call you and read it to you over the phone. There you go. Um, yeah, thanks to Kevin. Uh, long time coming. I mean, he was on uh, on the show for a couple of readings. It was the first time we've actually interacted with him. And, like, we hang out with the guy fairly regularly. Yeah, I see him. I bump into him more at Starbucks than we've actually had him on as a guest of the podcast. There you go. So um, that's going to wrap it up for, for this week. Um, next week, ready for this? Interlude. Mm-hmm. Baby. What you say? We reviewed six books in a row? Is that what the Yeah, the this was the say? sixth book in a row. So it's, yeah. I could use a little time off. Rob's give you some time off. I'm sure we'll have some great content for you. I know, I know we have a clip from uh, from Triple uh, A, A. Adam Otten that's going to, was going to make it on to tonight, but uh, this episode ran a little long, so I know we've got that, and we'll probably talk about some other things, too, all next week. Yeah, pretty much we know what our next book is, but we don't, we don't have it in our hands yet, so we don't want to say, oh, this is our next book, and then, like, the world ends and we can't review it, so we're just going to keep it a little bit secret. Um, and I do know that there's a very exciting book that we are about to get within hours or minutes of this podcast recording that um, everybody should be very jealous about. So I, I don't even know what this is. That's how secret that <laughs> I is. I know. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you now, and then I'm going to cut out me telling you, but I'm going to leave your reaction, and you ready? Okay. Dude, that is so fucking awesome. I'm very, very, very excited about that. Ah, See, and I've got a whole week where I don't have to read anything. I think I know what I might be reading this week. Right. There it is. So uh, so make sure to come back next week. But also keep an eye out for uh, an upcoming episode of the Crime Wave podcast. And um, we were on the most recent episode of This is Horror. So feel free to check that out as well if you just can't get enough of the Robin Live thing. Oh, there's a God, there's a winger song called "Can't Get Enough." And I was gonna start singing that, but I know you'd leave it in, so I'm not going to. So, anybody listening who's familiar with that song, <laughs> picture <laughs> me singing it in my vampire <laughs> voice. Oh, all right, that's gonna wrap it up for this week. Uh, come back next time. Uh, interlude. We'll be super happy about a book that we're still not gonna tell you about, but we're gonna gloat about it vaguely. Until next time, I am Rob Olson, and I am Livius Ned. Keep reading. Ha, 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 ha.